DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. It's time now to welcome in Jeff Grimes. He used to be the offensive coordinator at BYU. Now he's the offensive coordinator at Baylor. Jeff, good morning and congratulations. Well, thanks. I, I'm just guessing it must be a low content day for y'all. Otherwise, you wouldn't be putting me on first thing in the morning. Nice self-deprecating, but you know there are more than a couple of BYU fans rolling around out there who are very interested in what you have to say about this season and the season going forward for BYU and uh, just for college football in general. It's been such an incredible year. But for you, uh, first, personally... um, you know, looking for a new job is uh, can be a wild thing, and college football can be a wild place. How, how did this? How did this all come together? What appeals uh, about it? Uh, how'd you make this decision and and make the jump to Baylor? Yeah. So first, I would say that I was not looking for another job, and in and in coaching, you know, sometimes you are and sometimes you're not. Um, and and I, I've been blessed to be here and, and so thankful for the opportunity that, that Kalani has not only given me to be here in this role, but all all the pieces that he um, put in place and the autonomy that he gave me and us with the offense. So I was, I was perfectly happy to stay here. But, um, you know, I know Dave Aranda. We spent a couple years together at LSU. And so as is often the case in the business you get a call from somebody on someone else's behalf and you know uh, that way someone can claim culpability I guess but wanted to find out if you know if I might have any interest and uh, so then yes maybe let's talk about it and then um, Dave and Kalani know each other and so Dave did the the thing that you're supposed to do in this business and you call somebody and get their permission to talk and so we had we had a couple of conversations and then talked about what that might look like and then some of the some of the other things that that might happen what would the staff look like and so forth and um that that was kind of the timeline and then um and then sunday night uh offered me the job and then um of course i i visited with kalani throughout the process um he and i have a great relationship and he's been so good so good to me about things like this and then and then to answer your other question the appeal for for me i think starts with going back home um i think bear bryant once said you can't say no to mama when mama calls and so you know my (laughs) my mama lives lives 110 miles from from baylor's campus and my wife's family is is all in Texas as well, and um, you know, so it, so it is an opportunity to get back home and and closer to family, especially as they're getting a little bit older. And then you know, I think it's a place that that fits me and and will fit my family. You know, it's a it's another faith faith based institution where. Um, your faith and Christianity is something that can be lived out in a, in a very comfortable manner and something that you can recruit to and embrace. And that's something that I've certainly appreciated here, even though I'm not a member of the church, it's been a great fit for me and my family for that reason. And I think Baylor will be as well. And then, and then I think it's a great chance to work with a guy that, that I respect a lot and think a lot of as a coach, he's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. And, always always respected what he did with defense and he and I had a lot of talks about football in general when we were there together and so I believe in what he's doing there and 
and um, a great opportunity for, for me to help him get it right. So, Jeff, I don't know how much more our relationship could take. 17, and 18, 17, 18 years ago, you leave my alma mater, ASU, to come to BYU. I get to know you then. I was covering you for the newspaper. But you left me to go to Colorado. Now you're leaving me to go to Baylor. That's three times you left me, but I'm willing to overlook it because in the spring, you tweeted out that you were spending a spring evening when everybody was in quarantine listening to Van Morrison. So I'm okay with this, Jeff. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, at the beginning of all this, one of my first thoughts was, can I do this again? Can I, can I leave my guy one more time? And, and, uh, would I be okay with that? Is he going to be okay with this? And, uh, I think somehow we'll, we'll have to come to grips with it. And maybe, uh, maybe, maybe Van can, can console us out on the back porch. There you go. There is a thing that you hear when people leave to move on, and, and it's perceived. Obviously, you're going home, so nobody begrudges you, and you did a great job here. The idea of leaving a place better than you found it. Could you address that? Because obviously, on the surface from the outside, it looks like you did exactly that. Well, I think, you know, for. For me, it was. It, I, I love this place, and I loved it when I was here before. And I wouldn't have come back if if I didn't feel that way. And so, yeah, being being a part of helping um, Kalani and everyone else involved uh, get get BYU football back to a place where everyone can be proud of it. In in particular, in my case, making BYU offense something to be to be feared and respected and fun to, to be around for our fans to watch and something that everybody can, can enjoy. Yeah. I, I, I think no question that, um, that having been a part of that is something that, that is gratifying, um, and allows me to leave and say, okay, this, this thing is, is moving in the right direction. Jeff Grimes joining us, leaving BYU as the offensive coordinator, going to Baylor, where he will be the offensive coordinator. Uh, Cougar fans enjoyed this year. Everybody wants more. You know, you prefer the number zero to the number one in the loss column. But, hey, and it probably there's some matchups out there they really wish had been played. You know, the Utes and, and some of the other uh, Power Five games are on the schedule. When you're inside the program, Obviously, some of that stuff weighs on you, and you think about some of that stuff. So how do you encapsulate this whole weird, wacky, beautiful, fabulous, crazy season you just went through? Wow. That's, that's, a, that's a lot wrapped up in that question. Um, and I, I think for me, it's, it's the, the, the willingness and eagerness of our players to – to follow us into the fray, regardless of what that meant. And I remember, I remember sitting in, in a meeting, standing in front of the offense in our team room, when, when all of this stuff started to fall apart. You know, when, when uh, I'm trying to remember the sequence of events now, but you know, the Big Ten canceled and the Pac-12 canceled, the Mount West canceled, and you're starting to see these these teams drop off our schedule and. And the guys, I mean, I, I will never forget the, the looks on their faces as I'm standing in front of them and they're going, Coach, are we going to play? Are we, are we even going to have a season? And 
I asked them that we asked them as a staff to to just trust the process and show up to work regardless regardless of all the other things show up and go to work and talked about being in position where we were going to play a a nameless, faceless foe, that thing that you talk about sometimes as coaches became a reality for us. Um, but their willingness to, to do that, um, I, I really think allowed us to start this season off the right way because I, I think they did show up and they did work hard and, and they were willing to work even, even not knowing what, what the season would look like. And then the other thing that, that I really thought was a challenge this year was Playing, it's always a challenge at BYU. Not being in a conference is a challenge. But being in position where we were playing a number of teams who might not have the national respect or acclaim or record that you would have, you would have hoped to have had changes your outlook, and it changes it as a player more than, more than a coach or a fan or anyone else, I think, because – there's uh, if you're a, if you're a true competitor, then yeah, you want to line up and and uh, go toe to toe with the Utes. You want to line up and, and and play USC and Wisconsin and some of the teams that that we've that we've been in position to play against these past few years. But they but I I, I really really been impressed with their willingness to show up regardless of who the opponent was, and and I really think it became kind of a part of our identity this season and. So for me, that's the thing I'll remember is just the willingness of our players to show up and work regardless of what the future looked like. I remember years ago, Lance Reynolds, who I believe you coached with when you first got to uh, BYU, was on the staff together. He told me BYU should always be good in the offensive line, and he was speaking of that they can recruit LDS kids. It's the obvious connection there. So the point being that they should always be good. Now, this is offensive line is where you cut your teeth as a former offensive line player and obviously as a coach. And we've had a number of years where the line wasn't as good as it had been, and now we got it back uh, this past season, and it was very good. And you've got a number of guys looking at the NFL possibilities. As you leave here, could you evaluate the state of talent as far as the offensive line goes, um, well, yeah, I would comment first on on Lance, and he's a great guy and a great friend, and and he and I really worked well together when I was here before. And there's a lot of wisdom in what he said, and I do believe that there are certain positions that inherently should be um, top notch at, at BYU, and and all, you know, tight end is one of those that comes to mind as well, but. Certainly, that's true in the offensive line, and and um, you know for whatever reason ha- haven't had some of those guys, and um, you know re- yes, I feel great about the state of the offensive line. Um, you know, it starts with recruiting, and it, it's it's a matter of recruiting the right guys, and it's easy to go out there and find a bunch of big guys, but they may not. They may not move the way you want them to, or they may not have the flexibility that you need them to have. But there are the there are the physical prerequisites that I think are required to be a great offensive lineman. And and if a guy has enough of those, then your real job as a recruiter, as a coach, is to find out if this guy has the other things. Does this guy love the game of football? Is he tough? Is he going to enjoy having the opportunity to to sprain his ankle? 
um, or dislocate a finger and then walk right back out there the next series and take pride in that? Is he willing to choke another man out when the, the opportunity calls for it? And, you know, those, those things, if a guy has enough of the physical things, those intangibles, what's in his heart and in his brain, those things will make a guy into a great offensive lineman. Because if he loves the game, then he'll do all the things he needs to do in the weight room, which is where I would go next, you know, and I give our weight room, our strength guys credit because you look at our guys, they look like they should look. They look like NFL linemen. Um, we don't have fat guys. We got guys that are big and strong and powerful and athletic. And so I give Nuu and Justin and AJ and all those guys credit for that. But then there's got to be the, the football development. And I got to give Ryan Pugh and Eric Mateos most of the credit for that. And certainly I've been a part of it because that's my baby. My my wife always says the worst job in the world would be my be my offensive line coach. And <laughs> that would be true if I, if it if it weren't somebody that I knew and trusted. And, you know, those guys have done a phenomenal job. And, you know, I think we'll, we'll obviously see those guys leave and move on this year. But there are great young players, and not just young guys, a lot of them that will step in that have played a lot of football already. And, and that matters, you know, um, for, for guys to step in that have already played some. For, for Clark Barrington to play all of this season and having played last year as a freshman, which was, which was quite ugly at a number of times, i got to tell you. Um, but for him to play the way that he did – I think had had to do with how he played the year before um, and having a chance to grow and learn through that. So we've had a number of those guys, and, and then we got some other new guys coming to join. But the, the state of the offensive line is, is great, um, and I got, I got all the confidence in the world in Coach Mateos, and he has a, he has a great bond with those guys. They, they love him and they trust him, and, and the culture is, is back to like it should be. And, and, um, it, you know, as you alluded to, none, none of the other things, none of the things that happened for Zach or Tyler or Dax or Isaac Rex or any of those guys, none of those things happen if the O-line isn't doing their job. At what point did you realize Zach Wilson was going to be projected as a very high NFL draft pick? Uh, you know, I would say early season, the way he was throwing the ball, I just, I, I just, I, I've been around long enough to, I mean, I didn't know where probably, but the way he was throwing the ball and his decision making and just seeing his, him be healthy, um, it, it, it told me early on we're not, we're not going to have this guy much longer. And when I saw him make, when I saw him make the throw that he made. Um, to Dax on third and 15 or 16 against Houston. Um, I just, on the headsets, I said, well, enjoy it while it lasts, boys. <laughs> because he's a special, special talent. And, and then throughout the season have fielded calls from a number of NFL teams. And, and just, I mean, I, I'm hearing these guys, these grown men, 50 years, 60 years old, talking with a twinkle in their eye about this young young quarterback in Provo, Utah, and I realized, yeah, this guy's going to go, and he's going to go early. So it was a bit of a process, but, 
man, I'm so proud of him and how far he's come and, and, and the way he's grown as a player and as a leader and as a teammate. And, man, he's, he's going to do great. I, I love the kid, and I got all the confidence in the world. I'm intrigued how you said, Jeff, that being independent and not being in a conference is a challenge. Obviously, it turned out to be beneficial this season. But what types of challenges are there as far as being independent? And is it something that you believe is uh, something that BYU can be successful at over the long term? Um, Yes, I think you can, but it is certainly a challenge. And I knew it coming in, but I didn't know to what extent. It would be, and I think it's a, you know, more than anything else, it's a psychological challenge, um, because human human nature is such that that you you we need something to be aiming towards. That's why for for all of these years, people who are writing books on setting goals and and achieving your dreams have made money. Because there's an innate need within us that is to do something more, and we need something to aim at. And I think when you don't have that conference title to shoot for, it can be tough. And and it can be particularly tough the way that the schedule often plays out. And and, um, I I know it's a tough job for for Tom and all the other people that are are involved in it, but when you play – a heavy slate of respected teams early and our guys get up for that. You know, I mean, they've got that, that, that mentality that says, let's go to war. And then you have something that can be perceived as less than that. Then sometimes, sometimes it's a, it's a challenge. And I don't think it's, it's a want to, I don't think it's, um, a thing where where the guys ah, our season's over or we lose a couple games and then give in. I don't think that's the case at all because you saw the way that that we battled back and I, I feel like the way that the team battled back in 2019 really set the stage for this season. But um, I, I do think that's a challenge and the challenge that I've that I've always tried tried to lay out to to the offensive players is that being a competitor should be part of your identity. And if you're a competitor, then every day you show up, you're ready to go. And you're ready to prove yourself, and it does not matter who shows up or whether there's a a trophy on the line or whether we're just playing out in the backyard. If somebody challenges you to a game, you're going to go out there and you're going to go and and you're going to give everything that you got if that's who you are. And so I've really challenged our guys to try to become that 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 kind of team that kind of individual and you know maybe maybe this season will help towards that because i do think like i said i think we took a step forward in that direction with the schedule that we played this year jeff grimes joining us former byu offense coordinator now the new offense coordinator at baylor uh we have heard a lot of theories from a lot of people on what it's like to recruit utah high school athletes to stay and go to school in Utah. We're seeing more and more guys leave the state. Can you talk about the mindset of high school players and how you convince them to stay at home? Granted, you then get on a plane and go to California, Arizona, and Texas and try to convince them to leave home. But when you're talking to the guys about staying at home, because it seems like that's getting to be a more difficult sell. Yeah, I think, I think first you have to win. I mean, 
if you if you win games, then you'll have an opportunity to be in the home of anybody in the state of Utah. If you're if you're BYU or Utah or Utah State, you'll have the opportunity to walk into any home in this state because there is a real draw to staying in state and playing for one of these schools. Um, but the challenge is that you know sometimes there's something more attractive, the grass being greener somewhere else. Um, and so I think what you got to do is you have to win, and there are, there are obvious advantages to staying close to home, whether that's geography or a family tie or the church or whatever that might be. There are obvious advantages to that. What you have to do is you have to prove to them that you're not taking uh, a step backwards to come and play football here. To come and play football here at one of these in-state schools, you're not taking a back seat to Oregon or Washington or any of the any of the other places that that guys might leave for, and and that can be a challenge because there are a lot of a lot of great football programs right uh right right next to us here, but. But I do believe it can be done, and I, and I think the in-state schools are, are moving in the right direction. But, yeah, that's certainly a challenge. And I think, you know, our because of technology and social media and everything else, the world is smaller than it's ever been. And so it's easier to stay in touch than it ever has been before. You know, my, my daughter goes to school in, in Oklahoma, and so, you know, the fact that I can FaceTime with her as opposed to what it was like when when I was in college – 30 years ago, and I had to go use the payphone to, to call my parents or my girlfriend um, or use a calling card, you know, the, those things um, ha- have made it easier for for kids to travel and I think feel like they can still stay in touch with, with home. So as part of that, though, has it made recruiting that much more intense because in that respect, the world is smaller? Yeah, I think I think it certainly has. You know, I think I think what you saw. Um, so when I first started coaching, I was I was in Texas and started out coaching high school football, and then I was coaching. <clears throat> excuse me. Then I was coaching. Um, you know, I was a graduate assistant at at Rice and Texas A and M, and you know, then football was pretty regional. You know, for the most part, Texas kids stayed in Texas. And Georgia kids stayed in Georgia, and certainly there there were some kids that that crossed state lines and went somewhere a little bit further away. But it would be more typical for a Texas kid to go to Oklahoma, maybe or Arkansas or LSU, for them to go to Florida or Oregon would be a completely different thing altogether. And so I think the ease of travel and of communication has made it such that there are more players involved. And when I say players, I mean recruiters involved in recruiting the the top kids out there. It's true for coaches too, right? Now at Baylor, you're going to play Texas, and they're coached by former BYU quarterback Steve Sarkeesian, who's been everywhere from yeah. Washington to Atlanta to Alabama. You guys are all over the place. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is. Um, a, it can be a nomadic lifestyle. 
Well, you get to go home, and that is a win for you. Congratulations, Jeff. It's been a, uh, I'm sure it's been a wild ride. There's probably more stories you could tell us that you won't, but we'll just assume that it was a crazy wild ride, and you end up on a, on a high note and a, and a good opportunity to Baylor. So congratulations. Well, thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll always be a BYU fan. I'll always be a Kalani fan. I love the guys that I worked with here. I mean, A-Rod is unbelievable. He's going to do a great job, and, and he, ha- he and I have um, an amazing friendship and working relationship. Fessy is, is crazy smart and going to be a great coach in his own right, one of the best young coaches I've been around. Um, Mateos, obviously, you know how I feel about him, or I wouldn't have brought him here and already talked about that. And and Harvey and Steve Clark, just great guys and great coaches. And you know the the program is in good hands. And and I know they're just gonna they're gonna keep doing great things. But but I'd be remiss if I didn't say how thankful I am first to Kalani and and to Tom as well for trusting me, and uh, and then to the coaches I've worked with, and then and then all the players that have been willing to to let me coach them and, and coach them hard and do it in, in a way that, that, uh, that was a lot of fun. So I appreciate it. It's been great. And, uh, look forward to talking to y'all down the road sometime. All right, Jeff. Well, I hope next uh, October for Saturday nights for BYU and Baylor, it will be a marvelous night for a moon dance. <laughs> Let's go. I want you to remind me that you send me you send me a tweet that week that week and I'll retweet it and we'll have a nice conversation. All right. Circle October 16th on your calendar, people. Thank you, Jeff. We appreciate it. Good luck. All right, fellas. Take care. There it is, Jeff Grimes, a new Baylor offensive coordinator, former BYU offensive coordinator, with an interesting perspective on the Cougars and a lot of uh, a lot of stuff for us to uh, mull over. As we wait for the next football season, PK. Yeah, it was a great hire, man. And he did exactly what they needed him to do. He was the right guy for the right job. He was a BYU guy in a sense, not an LDS member, but that doesn't matter. He understood about the BYU deal. He was a great, great fit. The values are the same and all that stuff. He did his job, and all you could do is pat him on the back and say thank you and best of luck going forward. Except on October 16th. Yeah, I just meant uh, in general. In general, yes. Uh, that uh, I because I'm gonna. It goes to what we've been talking about for years now. We don't necessarily root for teams; we root for individuals. Well, obviously, I've known Jeff Grimes for a number of years, and you can bet all that you have that I am going to friggin' root at another team <laughs> that I got to root for now. <laughs> it's another. It's another score that has to be checked. Another. All right, yeah. where is Baylor on TV in one of these 10 a.m. games before the right. local teams start playing? I want have. To, I want him to. Have success? Yeah. Absolutely, I want him to have success. It's all about stories, and once you know the people, it's hard to turn off the story. Big time. It's the way we're wired. So you're going to follow the story now. All right, DJ and PK, we got Big T Thurl Bailey coming up at 9:05. Stay with us. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Zach Wilson, former BYU quarterback, take us to that decision process to forego your senior year and jump into the NFL and pursue the dream that you've had since you were little. It was really going back and forth with uh, you know the pros and cons of everything. You know, I, I talked to Coach A. Rod, and you know he gave me his personal thoughts on everything, and then it was kind of you know you're going to go back and forth with every single pro and con about staying or going, and, and he goes eventually you just got to come down to the point of you know the opportunity 
Benito will be there. So you just got to do what your heart is feeling and, and what your gut is saying. And so really that's what it came down for me. You know, we listened to what information we were gathering from agents or GMs or scouts. And really, I think it just came down to the opportunity I felt, you know, was going to be in place for this next year. And so I decided to take it and, and bet on myself and, and hope for the best. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Question of the day. PK, is this going to be your team's year? Can you feel it? 2021! It better be. (laughs) Sun Devils, you're feeling it this year? Well, it's still early, but, you know, Herm has gotten a lot of positive publicity. It's funny, after receiving a ton of negative publicity, but yet at the same time, I think he's like uh, 17 and 13. You haven't won. He can't really count this year. Uh, Who knows? You know, like the Utes lost two and then they won three. Who's to say the Utes wouldn't have won eight or nine in a row this year? You know what I mean? Once they found Ty Jordan and doing all the great stuff that he did. And that sad, sad case, we know how that turned out. But nevertheless, as far as the football team went, uh, you could say they could have run off a string of pictures. We'll never know. So if I say that about Utah, I'd have to say that about the Devils, too, or for you know whatever, any team that showed that they looked like they were at halfway decent to be able to do that. Uh, so I can't really knock this year for against them. But you know you are going into year four in recruiting because you did have a full recruiting year, and it's about time to start winning – Certainly bigger than you have, where you know, of seven and six, eight and five, uh, not awful, but not deserving of all the hype you've gotten. So we'll see as far as that goes. It's it's time, and depending on where your program is, you know, you say the same thing for Utah too. These these young guys got a lot of experience, and and uh, they they got to be thinking big. A bunch of SC guys. I'm seeing Vaughn's is the latest guy to put his name in the draft. St. Brown put his name in the draft. Those are two big-time receivers. We've been talking about them for a couple years that they were NFL guys. Uh, So, uh, But, you know, at SC, same type of thing, though. You don't get a chance to rebuild, that's for sure. Not at SC. That's not going to happen. Uh, he has a three or four loss season. The first three or four loss season he's he has, he's probably gone. <laughs> Simple as that. Safe assumption. <laughs> yeah, he only had one loss this year, and it came at the end. Uh, but uh, he's got to be thinking that. So, yeah, I think a lot of teams are thinking that. Some teams aren't, obviously. But I think if you're a fan, that's what you want. You want the hope of, yeah, this could this could be our season, whatever that individual level is that you're shooting for. Well, Padres, it could clearly be their season. Oh, better most better circle that one Jeez. after the two moves they made for pitching. That's uh, that's where the hope is. is uh, dialing down the Aztecs there, the coaching switch. Uh, it was a it was a good run with Rocky Long, but uh, and they got a current coach who's now five hundred ish himself. So I don't think I'll be circling that one. Circle the Padres. Uh, San Diego State basketball, we didn't mention them and what is trending. They, they blew a horrifically big lead. It was a horrifying collapse against CSU on Saturday. They built another big lead and held on and won Monday. It feels like their big year was last year. You want to circle anything for anybody in the uh, Mountain West Conference basketball? for them yeah. as far as not being able Bad to timing. have that opportunity. As it was for just everyone, Aggies, you name it, yeah. BYU. It was unfortunate. Uh, Mountain West basketball. <laughs> Well, that would be this season and the tournament that we hope to have in Indianapolis uh, right now. Not next year, this year, obviously. Yeah. Uh, 
I still think San Diego State's the favorite. I know they blew that outrageous lead. I was watching that game last night after the NBA game yeah. uh, finished, and I flicked over, and I thought for a couple of minutes, I thought it was a replay. Oh, it right. took me, yeah. It I looked. Took me a I, couple of minutes. To I figure thought out I remembered. Yeah, I thought I remembered that it was Saturday, Monday, but I uh, I dialed up the score online just to make sure. I was pretty sure it was live, but I had no idea. And I was thinking, wow, man, they're up by twenty-two with four and a half minutes to go, and they're going to blow this. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be one of the most incredible comebacks I've ever seen. Uh, and um, then I noticed up at the top it said live. I did see, I was covering a high school game once between uh, Banning and Pedro, and 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 uh, Banning was up by, uh, no, Pedro was up by like 25 with four minutes to go, and they won by one. Huh. <laughs> Pre-shot clock? Pre, or did they have a three-point shot? They had the three. Okay. Did they have a shot clock? They did not, no, but... But in those days, it was it was the '80s, and they ran up and down like crazy. They played 32 minute games, and they yeah. score in the 100 points. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it was in the it was in the the city league, so it was inner city basketball that they were playing. And you know, the Lakers were at their heyday, and so in 32, it was so fun to cover high school basketball in that area at that point because it was just a run and gun, and they and and they had four times, if I remember correctly that they fouled the same kid on three pointers that he made. So he had <laughs> four, four point time. plays one yeah, after four, another. Four times. Wow. Yeah, four times See, they had it. It's funny how things come full circle because now we've had rule changes and analytics and the Jazz are gonna play the Nets tonight and you know it's uh what does Bowler say? It's time to play jazz basketball. How does he say it? You do it better than I do. Jazz basketball, basketball, yeah. (laughs) And jazz basketball now, they want the pass up the sideline, open the lanes in the open middle of the floor for one of the big guys to run it, whether it's, uh, you know, Favors or Gobert or whoever, and get that wing three real quickly. And when they do it and they hit it, you can see the bench come alive. You can see it in Quinn's body language. You can see the way guys run back on defense. And it's uh, shades of showtime. Uh, you know, yeah, get a, a little... court in a hurry and launch it. And, you know, if you're in L.A., Showtime, if you're in Vegas, then it's Tark and the Running Rebels. Wherever, there were those teams that wanted to push it. And now the Jazz, like a lot of teams, really want to push it. But nobody ran to the three-point line. No, that's new. That one's that one's different. You're right. But the tempo as far as, hey, we're five seconds into the shot clock. Do we have a good shot yet? Can we get one up? That I mentality's that, I out there. I think that's always been around, though. I don't think it's new. It's emphasized more, but it's certainly not new. I think it's always been there. I mean, I covered some LMU basketball. Ooh, in, there's in, a team uh, that could push it and launch Westhead. it. Yeah, and then so and that was obviously in the early '90s. Uh, I, that one team, I didn't have them as a beat, but. I was there covering the press conference the morning after Hank Gathers died, and I did cover them. There was sort of a mismatch. We had a number of people. Those are the those schools there. Those lower profile schools. It was ever who was ever hot. We we uh, covered them. And LMU was right in the Daily Breeze circulation area, so we emphasized them. So I'd been to Gersten many times over, but we we've seen that. <laughs> Steve Nash did that with uh, the Suns and D'Antoni, and now they're together tonight with Brooklyn, and so that that's going to be interesting to see. They're just get, barely getting started 
on this regime here. But obviously when D'Antoni was the head coach of Phoenix and Nash was running the show, that that was what they were doing. So I think the emphasis is greater on threes now, certainly. But I do think running has been around for a good long while and getting the ball up the floor to try to get an easy shot. It's just that it was usually the goal was to uh, get a layup or get a dunk. And now, a lot of times, you know, guys who are on the wings run to the corners. Is this going to be your team's year? Trent says, considering my teams are the Vikings, the Jazz, and the Utes, not likely. Trent, man, giving up on 2021. Well, if you're a Utah basketball fan now, you've got to have a level of frustration. And what and well, I, think I think they've what, had it for a couple of years. But. but I think what is most important now that Mark Harlan needs to really, really monitor is that frustration. It's okay to have frustration, and frustration is actually good. But what you don't want it to have is morph into apathy. But it has, that, hasn't it? Uh not yet, I don't think. Really? But, I mean, it's just my opinion, so yeah. I don't I don't have any facts to base it on. Watching no. the crowds plummet a couple of years ago, I thought that's what's happening. Yeah, but I see th- that, a little of a that sliver can come of back. the right. oh, I, it'll come back the second they start winning. It'll Utah basketball, they're there. Well, then it's not truly apathy. That's what I'm saying. It's not there now. No, that's that's precisely what I'm saying. But it's morphing in that direction. I don't think it is there now. That's my whole point. No. But you've got to be careful when you get the hardcore Utah basketball fan, and I've known those people for 30 years because when I was there covering them for the Watchdog, every night, every Uh, game was the place to be, man. You had two places to be. You had downtown with the Jazz, or you had on the hill at the Huntsman Center, and both of those places were rocking. BYU was down a little bit before Steve Cleveland got there and Dave Rose and did what they did. At that time, it was those two places in specific, and they were rocking. And so I do think that the fan base is still there, but the frustration at some point will no longer be frustration. It will morph into apathy, and they're headed in that direction, and that's sad. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Big T Throw Bailey's coming up in 20 minutes. Talking jazz and nets tonight. Stay with us. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Matt Harpering is with us, 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Matt, what's a realistic expectation for this jazz team as far as where they're going to finish in the West? The West is so hard. There's probably 12, 13 teams that think they're going to make the playoffs this year in the West, and they can. Every night's going to be a grind, so one is going to be who's going to stay healthy. No question the jazz can be, in my view, top four team, top three team even, but they got to stay consistent on the defensive end, and offensively, they're going to have some nights when they just don't shoot the ball well, and we've seen a couple of those nights already and that's when they're going to lose. If they can limit those nights, there's not a doubt in my mind they can beat any team. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Join The Big Show Friday from 2 to 6 at The Warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Ho, 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 boom! I'm going to have to turn the headphones down. Okay. Yeah, ouch. I'm ouch. pretty sure I have an eardrum that just ruptured. <laughs> what, the music's too loud? Yes, the music's yeah, too loud. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, Matt, just Matt, just tweeted back at us. Question of the morning, is this your team's year? He says, I really hope so. Exclamation point. Go Jazz, exclamation point. 
<laughs> I just Hank Jesperson just replied, "Yep," and I got a I got a Fernando Tatis bat flip. Although he doesn't look happy, he looks like he might have just struck out. <laughs> He's throwing the bat. Fernando Tatis. Well, there's no yeah. crowd. It's from last year, so you can't. You know, usually you can tell by the crowd's reaction what just happened, but there's nothing. There's no crowd. Exciting, exciting player with a tons of flair. He might be the flarest player that we have in baseball right now. When's the last time the Padres had a player with that much flair? Tony Gwynn was excellent, but he didn't have a lot of flair. He was very much a Jerry Sloan, head down, go about your business kind of guy. That was native son, so that helped him. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, wildly then, popular, but not I'd for the I'd probably flair. say Mike Ivey. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> This is a, you. You made a joke for one person, and I thank you for it. It was funny. Well, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. So Mike Ivy is a legendary draft bust, a catcher who developed a phobia about throwing the ball back to the mound. Well, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> Number one pick. I mean, he made it to the majors, so he's not the worst washout ever. There are high picks who don't even make it to the big leagues, but... Yeah, thanks for that. That's old school right there. <laughs> you got to go back to like Ozzy Smith doing backflips. I mean, that's like the most flair. <laughs> Fernando Tatis is one or two. Okay. <laughs> it's like there's there hasn't been anybody like him. No, I don't I don't I don't I mean, know he's, seen anybody like him. Yeah, in in, in, the, in the history the of San Diego sports, I mean, Jefferson was there briefly, your Sun Devil, and he had a ton of flair and captivated the town in about 3 minutes. It's so, good to have hope. I think that's yeah. the ultimate goal of a sports fan is to have hope in your team. Even if yeah. your team is end up going to end up disappointing you, which more often than not, it's going to. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. I, they, right now, and NFL playoffs, let's get back to the present day. Thanks for the old school blast from the past. But the NFL playoffs right now, how many teams legitimately have hope, not odds on, but hope of winning the Super Bowl? I'd say about five or six. Yeah. And only one's going to do it. Most of them are going to get disappointed. Right. And then you look at that individual. Mahomes is not going to win more Super Bowls than he loses in terms of, or even competes in. Maybe he can win more than he loses. But I'm saying if he has, if he has a, a 15, seat year, 15 years in the NFL. If he wins eight. That, <laughs> he'd win more than he loses, but he's not yeah, going to win eight. Right, probably not. So, you know, Kobe Bryant won five, Jordan won five and, yeah. or six. Uh, and Brady's sitting five. on six in yeah. two decades. So you actually that, lose yeah. more often than you win. Two years out of three, Tom Brady doesn't win the Super Bowl. Yeah. And nobody's won more than that That's not what it's about. Yeah. Uh, I think most folks can understand that. And it's like we said with the Jazz, losing, you don't, you don't ever concede, but you can deal with losing as long there was as long as there was a strong effort. There wasn't a strong effort against Minnesota, so you didn't win that ball game. And then uh, they could be uh, probably on this trip. You know, you're probably going to lose a game. But as long as there's a strong effort, you know, I, I don't. I, and it's not like I'm okay with it or I can accept it, but I can deal with it much easier. And that, that's what I want out of my teams. I want them to give strong efforts. and to g- Give me everything you got. And if you don't win, well, there's a winner and loser in every event. So you got to get past that. And that's, as a sports fan, I want my team 
to be out there trying their very best to do everything they can to win and not make a bunch of stupid mistakes and whatnot. And, you know, that's the whole thing with the Eagles. The Eagles didn't seem like they were putting forth their best effort to win the game. Doug Peterson can say whatever he wants to say. That's but that's fun. not what anybody believed yeah. while watching the fourth quarter. Right. As you watched it, it didn't appear that that was the case. And if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm furious. If I'm Mike Trout, I'm furious. Ah, nice. Well done. <laughs> Casey Gorgeous tweeted at us a gif of an elephant riding a surfboard. You got to see that. And it says, uh, already is. Roll tide. Oh, get, get out of town with that. <laughs> uh, that's okay. We just got uh, Albert just said, oh, yes. And that is the youth celebrating in the end zone after a touchdown. He's ready. A lot of hope coming out of this season. If you're giving me the roll tide, I will only accept it as if you are an Alabama student or former student. Other than that, get out of my face. Oh, you grew up in Alabama. You can't be an Alabama fan. You're turning into an elitist. (laughs) You can be an Alabama fan, but you're not a Crimson Tide. Uh, look at you. You're, you're, you're not. Separating them out. You can, Sure. I, who doesn't want to be an Alabama fan? It's so easy to be an Alabama fan. Yeah, I'm a hardcore Alabama fan. Yeah, well, great. <laughs> you know, 15 years ago, it was Texas was the rage with Vince Young. And everyone's running around with burnt orange hats and clothing and all that stuff. Uh, so, I don't... I can live with it, but you're still not... You're not a Longhorn. You're a fan of the team. That's fine. But you're not a Longhorn. The only way you can be a Longhorn is if you went there. That's the only way you can be a Longhorn. DJ and PK coming up next. He will always be a member of the Wolfpack because he won the national championship and he's got the ring to prove it. Big T Thurl Bailey, jazz analyst on AT&T Sportsnet, joins us to look ahead to tonight's game, the Jazz and the Nets. Big T's coming up next. Stay with us.